Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Welcome back, friends. Lars Lindstrom here, Creative Income. I just kicked my wife <laughs> out of our bedroom. So I, th- I think I talked uh, in the last couple episodes about being displaced. We The upstairs is pretty much done. We've got the carpet in the bedrooms. The girls are up here now. And uh, our flooring guy is coming tomorrow for the downstairs. So I'm going to get an get office super soon. I'm really excited about it because then I can actually have a place to not feel super weird about recording uh, these little intro outros for the podcast. Um, but yeah, I was, it's like it's like 10 o'clock at night and my wife's in bed. Totally forgot I was even in here with my computer and I just go, um, could you leave? <laughs> could you go downstairs or something so I can record this? Because I can't, for some reason I can't do it yet with uh, people in the room with me. Um, I don't know. Maybe hopefully after episode number like 250 that'll pass. But uh, anyway, uh, welcome back guys. Uh, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor this week. Uh, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by absolutely nobody in the world but me. Yours truly, bringing this podcast to you weekly. Uh, lots of good content. This episode's awesome. Uh, I don't know if you know Cole Walliser. Uh, you have to not have Instagram to not know who he was. But he's this like super charismatic guy with beautiful hair and he's got this like 1.4 million person following on on Instagram and other social media platforms. He does this thing called um, the Glam Bot at like the Oscars and the Grammys and you should really go check them out. So I think it's just Cole Walliser on Instagram and, uh, and you'll get an idea for what kind of work he does and that'll probably explain this episode a lot better. But um, it was a pleasure to have him on. Uh, I was going to say the only thing I ask, though, from this is, I think we're still doing the ad, uh, is that you share the podcast. That's it. So it's pretty simple. I'm not asking you to download Squarespace or, I don't know, MailChimp or anything like that. I just want you to talk about the podcast to the people. Podcasts are not algorithmic like YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. There's no SEO. I can't put in, like, magical keywords that you guys are going to find this thing with. It's just word of mouth. That's it, man. And I don't have an audience of hundreds of thousands to to get the you know thing going. So, yep. All I ask is that you uh, share it with someone else and talk about it. And if you are so inclined, a rating on Apple Podcasts would be super dope. So, if you guys have a second, uh, go to Apple Podcasts and and find the podcast and uh, just give it a little five star or don't give it a one star. If you think this podcast sucks, give it a one star and tell me why so I can fix something. The intros are probably way too long. I think that's uh, that's probably why I'm going to get some one stars. So far, I've got uh, 29 five-star uh, ratings on the podcast, which I'm stoked on. Um, so thanks. Let's keep those coming and uh, share the podcast. All right, let's jump into it. Here's Cole. Uh, hey, Cole. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, if uh, for those that don't know you, for for the few people out there that uh, don't follow you on Instagram, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Cole Walliser. I am a director living in Los Angeles, um, a director that has branched out as best I can into the world of social and content, uh, and that's generally that's the very top line overview of what I of what I do. Uh, director for social and content. 
Uh, no, I mean, more traditional. I mean, my career is definitely in the more traditional space of short form. So music videos, commercials, promo work. Uh, I've been in the DGA for six years now. Um, and recently I've, I've noticed the power of social media and decided to include that as an aspect of my career as a director. So my social presence supports my career as a director, not the other way around. Okay, awesome. Thank you for explaining that. Now, before we get into the social, because we will talk about that, I'm positive quite a bit, but um, I want to jump back a little and just talk to me about how you first came to be a director. You're from Canada, correct? I am from Canada, yeah. I mean, I moved in to LA in 2006 before, you know, digital online distribution of content and videos. So like, you had to be in LA. I was like, oh, I want to be a director. I want to direct movies. Uh, Pretty much my option was to move to LA. And so yeah. that's what I did and and just started slowly doing tiny gigs one step at a time. Kind of the, the I think it's the classic the classic uh, train for, for what people do when they move to LA. Just find any little gig you can get and hopefully your subsequent ones are marginally bigger than your last. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you know to reach out to people? I mean, as it, I, I don't direct, I am a cinematographer. And, and honestly, I cannot figure out how directors make a living in this world because like it is. Yeah, sometimes I can't either. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so how did that, what did that look like? Talk to me about the hustle. Who did well, you reach out yeah, yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. What did you do? Well, I, I definitely did not make a living as a director in the first number of years in LA. And, and in fact, I refrained from I, I made a stipulation on on how I labeled myself and I would say I told myself I would not call myself a director like what do you do like oh I'm a director until the majority of my income came from directing and that didn't yeah. happen until 2012 or so maybe um and I just felt it just felt I don't know it just felt weird it was like because so I, to add more clarity to that uh, statement, when I first moved to LA, I, I edited for a living and I shot stuff. Um, I directed small things here and there, but predominantly I probably made most of my money through editing. Uh, I had been editing for a while. Like in Vancouver, I learned how to direct by shooting and editing my own things. Uh, so I had tangible skills as an editor that I could get a job with essentially. You know what I mean? So I got hired to edit a bunch of stuff and that's kind of what sustained me the first number of years uh, in, in LA. Yeah. And I would direct things and I had directed things, but then when people were like, what do you do? You know, I would, it would feel false to be like, oh, I'm a director when it's like 20% of my income came from directing and 80% yeah, came Yeah, but from isn't editing, that kind of you know? like, isn't that part of the, I, I just feel like, and I always say fake it till you make it, right? I, I lied uh, to get my first gigs. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I've faked many things to make it, to make it. Uh, and I, 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 so I, I do sort of agree with that though. For some reason it just felt, and, and I don't, I'm not saying this was, uh, to my benefit. I, I just think that <laughs> it was, it was a thing like what he, the thing I'm pushing against was I hated that when people clearly were faking it, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a director. Or, oh, I'm this. And then it's like, well, what what have you done? And if you have nothing really to back it up, then you're like, oh, well, that's like the most wackest thing ever. So I really yeah. like didn't want to come off like that. Um, I would. I, it's not like I would shy away from my directing work. Uh, I would. I would probably just bury it a little bit and say, yeah. oh, I like I'm also, an editor, but I direct yeah, some, also, some stuff too. You also have to read the room a little bit too. If like a producer is asking you what you do, it's like you're not going to be like, oh, I'm an editor, only an editor. Oh, totally, uh, yeah, hundred percent. That's a it's a case by case basis for sure. But I think it's like 
it this this conversation is like important on like how you represent yourself and even more so because we're always representing ourselves online with this social stuff too. So it's yeah. an important thing to consider. And I think sometimes making up your own like rules for how you want to convey yourself and your work are valuable, even if maybe it's not the right, the best decision, but you know, just having some guidelines for how you're doing it, I think can be helpful. Yeah, totally. So talk to me about, um, so you, let's say 2012, you joined the DGA. Uh, what was that journey like? Talk to me oh, about- I, I, joined, um, I joined in 2015. I, I think I started okay. directing as a majority of my uh, income in 2012-ish, maybe. Got it. Yeah, perfect. So so from 2012 to 2015, talk to me about what that looked like and, and how you were able to get those gigs. Did you have representation? Did you actively seek for representation? Um, talk to us about some of like those things that that are milestones as a film director, but people don't really know how to achieve it. Yeah. I, I also sort of never really, I mean, I always wanted representation, uh, but I was, I told myself, I was like, if I go pounding down doors now, this is again, this, I, I don't necessarily think that this is the best approach. This is just the approach that I, that I, that I did. I always felt that like, if I was pounding down doors, doors for representation, they wouldn't really be like as jazz or excited about me. You know what I mean? Like I always yes. felt that the way representation works, if like if you make something of value that people want uh, to be a part of, reps will be knocking on your door. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I always felt that I was like, well, if people, if reps aren't knocking on my door, then, you know, me knocking on their door going, hey, you want to rep me? Hey, you want to rep me? Uh, isn't isn't going to build a, a super successful relationship. Um, I did do that. I did knock on some people's doors and I have, <laughs> and I was repped, you know, I, I, like just sort of like, not like chasing down, but kind of like putting feelers out, not like pounding the pavement, like, Oh, I'm going to get a rep. Just always kind of being like, Hey, like I'm here, I'm around. And I had signed with a bunch of a variety of companies throughout my entire career. And most of the time it doesn't really they haven't really done much. Like my career has always just been based on my own personal relationships and my own mm-hmm. clientele that I've developed over the years. Uh, yeah, that's what I hear from the majority of people. Is is yeah? Exactly that. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if the times are changing or just like the whole infrastructure for these, you know, exclusively signed directors to production companies are, are is over now. But it's like it's always been my own network of people, and that's always been a thing that I felt like I can control better. And I never really thought that I wanted to wait around for reps to give me jobs. I was always wanted access to jobs that reps had, but like, you know, it's been less than ten percent of my work throughout my entire career. Wow! And I've been repped for most of the time. Yeah, that's amazing. So how did you how did you know then if you're doing a lot of this on your own, you're hustling, you're meeting people on your own? How did you know what to charge? Uh, did they basically come to you and say, "Hey, we've got uh, three thousand dollars a day"? Or talk to me about how you were able to price yourself and and scale. It's yeah, it's always been a tricky thing. You you never really know, and I think that uh, you know it's a thing I'm still figuring out. Like you're always re- if you're freelance, you're always reassessing your value. You know what I mean? I think that mm-hmm. once you have like uh, once you have precedent, that actually really helps. Like once you have precedent of like, oh, I've been paid this much on this job. It to me, it always gave me the liberty of being like, well, that's my book right now. Like if I got a job that pays me. <laughs> twice as much as my previous job. I'm like, well, that's my standard right now. You know what I mean? So like, I, but it's like, I was able to enter conversations knowing that that was my value. You know what I mean? So it's like, if it was starting out like a thousand dollars a day or $1,500 a day, when normally I was getting paid like 500 or whatever, 
like knowing that I got like 1500 for a day, I'm like, I can walk into a room and be like, I'm worth 1500. Like, that's what you need to pay me. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's what they pay you. So I, you need to pay me the same. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it just sort of empowers you to be confident about what you're worth. If you've been already been paid that, you know what I mean? If you have no precedent, yeah. then it's like you have no negotiation power anyways. And like, just take whatever they're giving you. Because <laughs> if you have no precedent, you haven't done any work, right? So, but yeah. I think that that's a good tip that I did was like, or I, I tried to adhere to is basically like every time I got a raise, like that was my new base rate. And that was my starting point. That wouldn't always mean that I would get that rate. You know what I mean? But at least it was a starting point and I could enter in a conversation with a number that I was like happy with. Uh, and the conversation could go from there. Sometimes yeah. they would beat me down to almost nothing, but but it's still on my terms, and I would still take the job because I wanted to, right? Right. So you you had mentioned before you moved down to Los Angeles that you wanted to come down and, and shoot or direct feature films. Uh, have mm-hmm. you directed features? I have not. It's been a long. It's been a long build. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So two thousand what six? You said you moved to Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Mm-hmm. All right. So so what have you been doing for the last fifteen years, man? I'm just kidding. Uh, just making a uh, bunch I, of two minute videos. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure you could you could probably put several feature String films together. together. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. No, but I, I'm curious. What, talk to me about because you do mostly commercial stuff, and I I mm-hmm. think that that's completely understandable and wonderful. You know, I just had um, you know Patrick O'Sullivan from the Wandering DP. Um, I just had him on the podcast, and he actually mentioned that he came into cinematography expecting to be. Uh, uh, like a you know a narrative cinematographer, and when he saw how much time it took from his family and from you know the things that he loved, he he realized that commercial was the thing for him. So, was there any of that for you, or are you still kind of striving to do feature films? No, I mean I think the 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 goal has always been features, and it's still definitely a thing I want to do. I think that like I've loved creating in this short form space, and it's been really awesome. Um, and I'm just sort of like. I'm, I'm at the point where I, I, I want to, f- I, I definitely like the goal is still a feature. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's definitely on the list, but it's, I'm kind of trying to figure out, I mean, I have a couple scripts that I've written that I'm working on. Um, but it's just sort of, I don't know if I'm not in a rush or I'm not like, Oh, I need to just do a low budget thing just to get it done. Like I want it to be sort of done right. Um, and I sort of want to leverage my relationships I have in the industry and my career thus far to be in a good position to make a good film um, mm-hmm. rather than take the scrappiness of just get it done however I can get it done, which I think that's a viable and good way to do it. I just yeah. feel that I have a bit of access um, having built my career out here for 15 years and I want to try to leverage it to something. Now that something might be you know, still a very little amount of money, um, but you know, I, I'm trying to figure out the best way and it is still uncharted territory for me is, uh, this is a, a, a world that I've never sort of done before. Right. Yeah. Some call, call on those favors. Cause you've, you've built a, you know, in the last 15 years, you know, of just building relationships and uh, contacts and, and I, and I'm, I'm sure friendships as well. And at some point you'd like to maybe call on some of those favors to, to still get the film done correctly, but, uh, on the cheap. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, when the time is right, I mean, uh, I'm calling in all the favors. I think the favors would come <laughs> from like potentially doing like uh, proof of concept slash short film based on a feature that I want to do. Whereas like all of the, you know, cinematographers, sound ops, gaffers, grips, crew people that I've hired over the years, I'm like, hey, I have this thing I want to do. It's a personal project. Like, come give me some favors. 
to help me get this thing done to pitch it. Like that's when I think the favors would come in. Yeah, um, I gotcha. And they would. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I'd like to think so. So you know, but still, yeah. I need to figure out what what script makes sense for me to pursue that on. And and I don't know if I'm just dragging my feet or trying to work on too many different things at once, but it hasn't happened yet. Okay. Well, I, I, I think you're still doing quite well for yourself, Cole, so I wouldn't beat yourself up too much. But uh, I, I do want to talk about your decision to, or maybe it wasn't even a decision, it was just it just happened naturally, DGA, Director's Guild of America. If you if you could just explain to the audience what that is, because not everybody's a, a director here. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so the DGA, Director's Guild of America, is the union that directors, first ADs, UPMs are in. Uh, it governs all of those people. Um, and it's... It's simple to join, but relatively hard, at least for a director. I don't know. Uh, I am you know, only aware of how you get in as a commercial director. I don't know because that's what I'm in as. I don't know how you get in other ways. But it's simple in the sense of like you just need to direct one DGA commercial job and then you can get in. So like that's relatively <laughs> easy. Like, oh, one job. But then getting that one commercial job with a company that is DGA signatory is like is fairly hard to do because they right. all have their roster of directors that they use that are in the DGA. So it's like, it's tough to get your foot in the door a little bit. Um, but then once you're in, uh, you know, you're in and you can, you, well, then you're union and you do DGA jobs and then you can get healthcare, which has been great. Yeah. So, so was that uh, primarily the interest at first uh, joining the union was to get healthcare, some of those benefits. Talk to me about that decision and, and uh, how it happened. Well, you know, for me as someone who's trying to, you know, like stake my ground in the director game and make a name for myself, it was always on the list of like just an achievement, right? So prior to being in the DGA, I was always like, oh, like, you know, when you're in the DGA, you're official. It's like, that's like, you're really a director then, you know what I mean? And so it was right. always a goal of mine to, to get in. And then, you know, coming from Canada, where healthcare works a little bit differently than out here, um, <laughs> is might be an understatement. But, you know, I uh, obviously getting some form of healthcare is important. And so, like, you know, knowing that I could get healthcare through DGA is uh, super enticing. And so, you know, it's all of the things. I just felt that once you join the DGA, it's like, oh, I've reached a certain sort of level of status in my career. And I have these benefits like healthcare. This is all this is all in the right direction of like where I want to go. Right. Yeah. And talk to me about the financial benefits. Well, I mean, the, if there the are, financial- and, and I guess that's my my question: Are there financial benefits to being the DGA? Or is it just like a status thing in healthcare? Yeah. Well, I would argue that that healthcare is a financial benefit because it is. Yeah. If you make a certain amount in the DGA, uh, you get healthcare essentially for free. Like, I don't pay. I mean, you pay your my quarterly dues is like fifty dollars, and then plus like a percent and a quarter of whatever you make. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the benefits are so much higher than. Than that, that 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 is a financial benefit in my opinion. Because if you didn't have it through the DGA, you'd be paying three, four, five, six hundred dollars a month. So like that was super helpful, totally. right? Great. Uh, yeah. There are DGA minimums that you need to stick to, though. To be transparent and honest, the DGA minimum for directing a commercial is like fifteen hundred dollars a day, which is like not not a huge amount of not a huge rate. Uh, so mm-hmm. like. It's not like they're like, oh, your your minimum rate is super high. So like now all of your jobs, you get a bump up in a rate. You If you're in the DGA, if you join the DGA for directing, you're probably making over $1,500 a day anyway. So it's like that yeah, minimum doesn't yeah. necessarily, yeah, hopefully that minimum doesn't necessarily bump you up in that sense. Um, 
but there also is like health and pe- you do have like a pension situation uh, where they contribute to your retirement. So like there's all these good things in the DGA that are financial benefits. Um, and just generally, I think that generally, you know, it's expensive for a production company to be a DJ signatory. And so they're going to mm-hmm. inherently be doing bigger jobs, better jobs that do pay you more money. So even though the minimum isn't, isn't outrageous, uh, the working rate of a director on a DGA job is going to be better than a non-DGA job for sure. Cool. So let's uh, let's uh, tra- segue just a little bit into Instagram and social media. Um, at what point did you realize that there was value in building an audience on social media? Are you only on Instagram? Did you do any other platforms? And uh, what does that look like? Yeah, I am on most of the major social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok. Um, and it, it was maybe in like 2016, 17 that I realized this is what happened. I saw a campaign that some like influencer director, some, an influencer that was like kind of directing did this campaign for like Hyundai or something like that. And it was like, Mm. they, it was clear that they gave him a bunch of money to like, go make some cool content and basically made like a commercial on Instagram. And I saw that and I was like, that's dope. I would do that job. Like they hired this kid because <laughs> he's like, you know, he has a following and like makes cool travel videos. I was kind of like, wait a second. Like I, I would totally do that job. So then I, I sort of was like, well, if they're hiring influencers to do work that I would do, maybe I should pay attention to that and sort of like try to like curate an audience into to build something online. But it wasn't until 2017 that I started to look into the future on what the world of media and social media was going to be. And it was very clear to me that we were, we are only moving more in that direction. We're only moving more online, more digital, more social media. And I was kind of like, okay, in 2017, you know, I'd already, I'd been in the DJ for a few years. I had my career as a director. I've done a bunch of cool music videos and short content things or whatever. And I, and I was confident in my career. I was like, okay, I, I could ignore social and I feel like I would still work and I would be fine. It wasn't like mm-hmm. I was getting any percentage of my jobs through social, but I sort of, like I said, looked to the future and I was like, okay, where are we going? And I realized that it was inevitable that we we're all going more online and I said to myself, okay, I could either do this now and like really pay attention and really incorporate social media as an aspect of my career, or I could do it in five years when I'm way behind the curve and I'm forced to do it. Cause like, it's going to happen no matter what. Wow. And so in 2017, I made the conscious choice to incorporate social media as a facet of my career and spent time on it. Like I spend time on other facets of my career and, and it has paid off, uh, in multiple times over for the effort that I put I'm into sure. it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, how did you build that audience? I mean, what kind of content were you, were you putting out there? How did you know at first how to get people's attention? Uh, it was, uh, it was unclear and I still think it is, it still is a little unclear. I mean, I got, I got lucky with this thing that I direct called the Glambot, mm-hmm. which is inherently like the perfect short form viral video content. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, sh- I should say that like, it w- took me a couple of years to figure it out because I started directing the Glambot in 2016, but it wasn't until mm. 2018, 2019 
that I understood how to make content to capitalize on that job. Like I was doing the Glambot for two or three years before I figured out how to make it be cool social content. And then it, then I started doing it, you know? Yeah, let's talk, let's break that down a little bit then. So, so who was Glambot's idea originally? Glambot came from uh, E, uh, like E Network. Uh, so E Entertainment, they do this uh, live from the red carpet show with E. And I think they were, they had done like a 360 camera for a couple years where it was kind of like bullet time. So they had yeah. talent do cool jumps and this and that on the red carpet. And then the uh, Cinebolt came out in like 2013 and mostly used for like tabletop food commercials. Um, and for those that don't know, that's just like a robotic arm that moves incredibly it's fast. It's a high speed robotic arm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then usually put people put up for like, you know, tabletop stuff or food commercials, people put a phantom on it. And then so someone at E had the idea of putting the phantom on the bolt for like red carpet beauty shots. They did a bunch of tests, um, They and then they hired a director. They hired someone else uh, for the first two events, and then they hired me, and I've been doing it uh, ever since. So it wasn't my idea. Uh, I was right, just which, I, which I think is really fascinating, and I actually love that it wasn't your idea. I mean, it's, it's whatever, but um, what I love is that you figured out a way to take something that someone had hired you for, right? And it could maybe your day rate, you know, it was like – few thousand bucks a day or something like that. But, um, but what you were able to do was figure out a way to put the content onto those social platforms and build an audience that way. So talk to me about how that came about. Cause you said you were doing it for two years before you were really able to, to go, Oh, I have an idea. Let's, let's build my own audience here. So talk to me yeah. about that. Yeah. So, you know, the first couple of years I was doing it and I would like post the finished glam bots on my social and be like, Oh, I directed this thing, uh, you know, with the stranger thing kid or the stranger things kids. And, and, you know, uh, who, whoever else I was directing back then. And sure. I was like, I always, I always felt it was cool, but like, you know, it wasn't really getting much attention. Like, b- mostly because E was putting out the same clips and like, they had all the stuff on their feed. And so like, I'm just in some sense reposting their same content. It wasn't, there was no draw really. Like it made people aware of that I was the guy doing it, but like, no. I didn't get any extra attention on my social because I'm like making the same content. Right. Yeah. At one point. So I, I, you know, and I, and I kept thinking like, this is a really cool job. Like I'm directing all these different big celebrities, like these A-listers, like I'm shooting like 20 or 30 in a day. I have all this cool content. And I was like, nobody really cares. You know what I mean? Like it's not really (laughs) doing anything for my career. Right. Yeah. I was like, I always felt it was cool, but I was like, I don't know. Like the awareness isn't really there for what I'm doing. Right. And then so at one point, it might have been at the Oscars in 2018, and Jackie Chan came up. And like I've been a huge Jackie Chan fan forever. And so there's a there's I mean, there's a bunch of people that work on the Glambot. We have one producer that's sort of with me at all times. And so I handed her my phone. I was like, hey, can you get a couple of pictures? Or like maybe I'm gonna ask Jackie for a picture. Can you just like be ready? Uh, because I'm a big fan of his or whatever. So she ended up taking a bunch of bts stills i didn't never had it i didn't i didn't have enough guts to ask him for a photo but she ended up yeah. taking a bunch of bts stills and i think she did a bts video just filming the process a little bit of like behind the scenes that went on right yeah. uh i think i ended up handing her the phone a couple times for some of the bigger celebrities because i was like oh these are so cool 
maybe it was my first Oscars. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. Like I need to super document this for my own. Yeah, for my own. Yeah, super casual, right? Just just first Oscars. Yeah. Oh, it was my um, first my first Oscars. Yeah, look at yeah, that. Yeah, totally. But I, I think I handed her the phone a couple times. And then I was coming home and I was like going to go post the normal glam bots that I post. And I was going through my phone and I was like, oh, I have all these cool behind the scenes photos of like me and Jackie Chan. And I was like, and I have this behind the scenes video of the glam bot. Now, if you don't know, so the glam bot, it shoots, you know, we shoot a thousand frames per second. Uh, the, the real time duration of shooting a glam bot is literally one to one and a half seconds. It's so fast. But when we slow it down and post, um, it is this really like drawn out epic sort of clip. And I usually get talent to do these cool big actions. So they're like moving in slow motion and it feels like a natural dolly in movement, but it's just super slow motion and super epic. So I was really surprised at seeing, you know, the behind the scenes where it happens in an instant and then you see the result and it's like this super drawn out thing. And I think I was posting, I started posting those together just cause I had the media and then it just dawned on me. It's like, this is really cool. Like what I should is like, this is what I should be doing. Like this before and after. Right. Because the finished the finish product is, is still cool, but there's like, there's, there's something really just neat that you kind of see how fast the arm is moving. And, and even you, I think you've got this really amazing personality too on camera where you're, you know, like you, you've got this beautiful hair and you're always dressed up nicely and you're always kind of fun to, you know, it's like nice energy. And uh, there, there is something about that behind the scenes experience. So, so yeah, I think you, you really nailed it on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're totally right. And it was, and it, yeah, it, it surprised me because I always thought it was so much more just the process of it all and seeing the talent. But I mean, a, a lot of people sort of touch on what you just mentioned is like this, this personality-ness to it where I'm interacting with these celebrities in a really fa- fun, kind kind of manner and that's a, that's a draw. So I think there's a lot of little aspects, but essentially I started filming behind the scenes and then making just that the BTS moment of me directing and then the final product. And that, that bit of content was the thing that really just launched my career to the next level. Cause they, for whatever reason, they're super viral and people watch them until the very end. Cause you have to see the result and my socials pretty much exploded after that. Yeah, well, they're fun. They're fun. I mean, I, every time you, you you're posting them now, still, you know, it's like we're in lockdown mm-hmm. and, you're, and you're doing these reposts, and I and I watch them every single one of them. I'm like, oh, the Natalie Portman or the Stranger Things kids or Katy Perry. Like, it's just it's fun for me, you know, just to see yeah. like that that interaction behind the scenes, and then to see the final final product after this one and a half second, you know, arm goes flying, you know, hundred miles an hour towards them. It's just it's really cool to see. So I think I think you're you're you know it's clearly incredible content for for you um how have you been able to for lack of a better word monetize uh that experience or that audience yeah i mean uh in a in a variety of like indirect ways so there's no monetization on the glambot videos themselves right. i technically right. only own half of them e owns okay. the final glambot and Probably in my contract, they probably own. Actually, probably. I, who knows? Who knows? Who knows what they own? But I film the behind the scenes myself. Yeah, I film the behind the scenes myself with my own cameras. But you know, so I I, I own that footage physically for sure, at least. Great, um, wonderful. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But what what it really has done is just like it just has helped build my audience and it has helped create a awareness of who I am as a director for a lot more jobs. So in 2019. I got hired 
I did like a Glambot world tour in 2019. So I had uh, started posting BTS like late 2018 and all 2019. And then at the end of the 2019, uh, the Cairo International Film Festival reached out to me because they wanted to do a Glambot for their essentially the like Egyptian Oscars, essentially. So I flew wow. there and I did, I directed that. Uh, I ended up going to Thailand with a friend of mine for a little vacation after it. Then straight from Thailand, I flew to New York and I directed two commercials for NBC using the same Glambot technology for the for the Today Show. So all the Today Show hosts, we did like a Christmas one and a New Year's one. We did two spots in New York. And then straight from New York, I flew to Canada uh, to direct essentially Glambot type content for all of the Olympic athletes because this was prior to the 2020 Olympics. So, um, you know, like had I not been putting out that content and really – working on it like sitting down like the number of times i would sit at my desk and like it would be the bane of my existence to cut a new glam bot i was like nope like cole you committed to doing this like you gotta sit here and like it's like friday night like 10 o'clock i'm like oh i just want to like watch a movie or go to bed i'm like nope i said i was gonna do this i would sit down and i would grind one out it paid off in in that way because it's like people know who i am as a director they look at that content and think it's cool they're like oh i want that for my other thing and has really opened a lot of doors for me as as a director. So that's like, you know, awareness for who I am, getting hired as a director off social. But in the past year, because my social has grown so much, I've been doing like little tiny brand content things. Like I posted today a thing with Epson. So Epson reached out. They have this new uh, printer that they're that they're selling, and it's cool for a, a number of reasons. They gave me a sample. I talk about it. I posted that and that's a job. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, it's and not a, not a bad one for the amount of work it takes to film a little video. So now there's this other revenue stream where, and this is where I, I, I sort of uh, don that label of influencer because now I'm making my own content uh, on my own socials for different brands that obviously uh, pay me. So there's a, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of more, there's a lot more opportunity, but this all revolved around the idea that like, People know who I am because I've, I've made a bunch of content that people have seen. Um, and so opportunity inherently just comes with that. Yeah, I, and, I, and the word opportunity keeps popping up in my head too. And I, there's a lot of people that, um, that would consider you lucky, right? And, and I don't know if – I'm sure luck has some part, some part in it. But uh, I, there's a real clear separation for me between luck and – taking advantage of opportunities that come your way. And I think there's a lot of people that would have taken the e-gig, e-hires them, they go to this thing, they get paid, they go home. Uh, and they don't take advantage of some opportunities. You saw an opportunity and you took advantage of it. Do you consider yourself just lucky, right place, right time? Or what part of you thinks that you're just a good hustler and you can see opportunity for what it is? It's a combination, to be honest. I mean, there, I, 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 I refer it's hard for me to think I'd be where I'm at without a little bit of luck, but it's mm -hmm. also, I know that like, if I wasn't trying to really do everything I can to make sure that I'm in the best position I can be in and working as hard as I can, I also know I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and so it, it really is a combination of both of them, but I think that a large part of it, yeah, is, is, is looking to the future, like knowing I want to get to a place, like I made goals with social. I was like, Oh, okay. I want, if I, you know, it sounds, it sounds corny, but 
I'll, I'll give you an example of like how this worked out for me. So I, I set, you know, I'll, I'll set goals uh, around the new year, just, just kind of for funsies, but kind of because it helps you keep on track. And there has been, I've had social goals. So I was like, okay, I want X amount of followers. I think the first time I set out to do the glam bots, I had maybe 30,000 on Instagram. And I was like, okay, I want to get to a hundred thousand, which seemed impossible. Like it was like, like that seems just absolutely insane. Cause it took me years to get to 30,000. And yeah. so I was doing the Grammys that year. And so I just decided to like start doing this behind the scenes content for the glam bot. And for whatever reason, it was like super stressful that day. Like stuff was going wrong and like X, Y, Z was happening. I was late. And I was like the thought of getting all my GoPros together and like bringing that to the, to the set and setting it all up. I was like, I was like, that seems like the absolute worst. And I was really fighting against it. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. That's way too much. It's stressing me out. I can't do that. Right. I had to put myself yeah. in check. I was like, no, Cole. I was like, you said to yourself that you're going to focus on social. It's going to be a part of your career. So suck it up, get all those cameras together and like, go do the thing that you said you were going to do. And I, and I really, I put myself in check and I was like, I, I had to talk myself into it. I was like, okay, all right. Like you said it. So grab it. So I grabbed all this stuff. It was stressful. I was overwhelmed, but I got a ton of great content for those Grammys. And it was like a launching point. And as soon as I started putting those clips out, it was like a huge confirmation that was like, oh, you should be doing this. This is definitely a thing. So, you know, like, like, uh, like unpacking that, like, you know, setting, setting goals to yourself is, is helpful. Even if they, it sounds corny to be like, oh, I want to have a hundred thousand followers. It, it, it sounds douchey saying that, but it's like, it, nah. it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. Because like what does right. matter is like the idea of me being like, oh, I'm looking at social, like a facet of my career. Like that seems like genuine and like true and honest, you know what I mean? But in like having some number to work towards, like it just is going to keep you in line. Like whether you achieve it or not is like, is a bit beside the point, but it's like that having that goal made me go get all my gear and like made me go do it. And it was the right choice and the right thing to do. So, so in that sense, I'm like, Oh, like that's, it's good to, to look at it uh, from that kind of a perspective, I would say. I agree. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. So you're, you're killing it as a director. You're, you're getting these awesome opportunities from Epson and Samsung and all these other branded content where they reach out to you and say, Hey, make this short little video on your phone or whatever. And, and we'll pay you a sum of money. Um, so you're, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing really well uh, financially. What are you doing to make sure that uh, that money sticks around? Are you investing in equipment? Are you investing in stocks or real estate or anything like that? Um, yeah, so I've always I've always tried to have some sort of security net blanket situation for a rainy day ever since day one, like moving out to L.A., um, you know, I came to LA with like four grand and it was like just enough to like, you know, get an apartment and have like a little bit as a security blanket. And I, it was always super important to me to like make sure I was saving money because I was always so nervous about not working. Um, I really just tried to make sure that if there was a period where I didn't work for a couple months, I'd, I'd have enough saved up just so I wouldn't be completely disastrous. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. a couple cl- close calls in my early career. And it was one month in particular, I was like, oh, I have no work and no money. I was like, I'm definitely eating ramen all month. Like I'm doing the thing we all talk about, like <laughs> having the dollar meals a day. And I was like, yeah, it just is what it is. But so uh, I, I say that to explain that, like, I still sort of share that mentality. 
of like always making sure to be saving some portion of my income. Um, to be more specific, I do have investments. So, you know, I, because I'm self-employed and, and I'm, I have an escort for myself, uh, mm-hmm. that allows me to do like a SEP IRA. So every year, depending on however much money I make, I'm allowed to put a certain amount of money into a SEP IRA that, uh, counts against my income. So it's sort of like a write-off that you can invest for your retirement. So I always try to max that out every year. Um, and then yeah. generally just put away money, uh, into investments, generally, generally stocks. I mean, for the past couple of years, I have, I do have financial planners, um, for the past couple of years, but prior to that, I was just sort of investing in my own bank of like, just like taking their recommendations for mutual funds or whatever, you know what I mean? Just having that sit there is being better than nothing. Um, uh-huh. the, I, I don't have any other current investments, like no real estate. I had a house for a while, but I sold it. And then basically I've just been in the market through my financial planners, but it's always a thing. Um, like right, even right now, what I'm trying to do, well, actually what I did for a number of years, basically I would put, when I get a check, I, I, I pay taxes on my separately because I'm self-employed. Right. So I'll put 25% of the check to, uh, my a little tax account. Like I have a separate account that I hold money in for taxes just so I don't spend it. And then oh, 25% cool. for a savings and then 50% would be like whatever I want to do with. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of like, and I still sort of generally kind of do that. Um, 25% savings rate though is really incredible and, and not excluding taxes too, I think is really important to, to throw in there. So I, I think you're, you know, that's, that's a, do you think that having a financial planner has been worth it for you? Is it something that uh, you think that they're doing better than you could have done on your own? Or if you just put it into like an index fund on Robinhood or something like that? uh, They are doing way better than I could do on my own. I sort of tried to manage my (laughs) own stocks for a while. And like when I first got a financial planner after that, basically we just like sold all my stupid stocks and like took a huge loss. And he was like, that's your tuition for like learning what you should not do. And I was like, all right, (laughs) you know, but it's, it's been hugely beneficial not only because I, I feel like they are uh, doing performing far better than I could, like they live and breathe it, but like it's also zero stress on my part. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the idea, like when I was doing my own, I was like, oh, like should I sell? Like, oh, should I really read, read about this stock? Should I invest? Should I yeah. diversify? And they, take, they, they take the emotion out of it, right? Or it's just oh, like- Oh, they take the emotion out of it and it's just so, it's just like more crystal clear and like you can really focus on just the pure performance of it. And not get bogged down by any sort of emotional decisions for anything. So that's been that's been really helpful. Awesome. Any any equipment? Oh yeah. So uh, I just recently just invested in some equipment. So my entire career as a director, I've always been on the fence of like, oh, should I buy gear? Should I not buy gear? Is this a good investment? Is this not? And I regretted not buying an Alexa when they uh, an Alexa Mini when they first came out. Yeah. Right. And I so did everybody. Regretted, yeah, exactly. Right. And I regretted not buying, uh, like, I don't know if I regret, well, I regretted it for a little bit, not buying a Gemini. I was like considering buying a red Gemini, not, not to think that that was, I don't know if that investment re- really would have paid out, but I was like considering it. I was like, oh man, I should pull the trigger on a Gemini. And then just recently when the Komodo came out and we're in the middle of this pandemic and I'm kind of thinking about smaller jobs that I sometimes would bring on a DP for, of like, just go run and go shoot a thing. I, uh, thought it would be a good idea to have my own gear so I wouldn't have to rely on anybody. So I bought a Komodo 
and I geared up with all the accessories and I ended up buying uh, Airy Ultra Prime lenses as an investment. Um, yeah, and that's we like bought, we bought Ultra Primes from the same person, I think. We, we did. We did. That we was three, a funny three sets and Yeah. <laughs> you bought the first one. I bought the second one. And who knows who bought the beat up third one. Yeah. Um, did I tell you I just got a 135 for the set? Oh, you did not. Yeah, I just uh, found uh, I just found a one thirty. Lori Carson was selling. Uh, a oh wait, maybe you did. Maybe you did. Yeah, I want to look. I want then. I want to. I want to borrow that one. Test it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it, man. Anytime. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the first sort of like investment vehicle gear. I don't necessarily consider the Komodo like an investment vehicle, but I think the lenses are. The lenses sort of will be. I think you know they'll play as long as Super Thirty Five sensors are still in play, which could be a while. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm directing a commercial coming up in a couple of weeks. It's a three-day shoot um, it's for this sort of global campaign, and I got my lenses on. So, you know, it's uh, nice. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite part about uh, owning gear. It's, it's like, because I can sign my equipment to, at a rental house, which is, it, it's nice. You know, I, it's, it is passive income, truly, in the most true sense of passive income. Because I get a check at the end of the month, and it's like, oh, cool, stuff went out. <laughs> but, uh, but the reason I invest in equipment is so that I can bring my stuff onto my own stuff because then I don't have to split the the cut with anybody, right? It's just like, yeah. oh, oh, what lenses do we want to shoot on? And they're like, I don't know. It's up to you. Something Ari maybe. And you go, I've got some Ultra Primes. And they go, great. That sounds great. Alex Mini Alex. Yeah. yeah, you got it, man. And uh, and I can just bring it on and they just pay like a standard rental house rate. And it's, uh, yeah. it's just like double, double the money essentially. So Always a good rate, yeah. Let's well, yeah, that's great. Any? Uh, do you have any other advice for for young? Uh, let's let's say creatives, but uh, maybe more specifically directors starting out. Uh, financial or just career or, or both? I think yeah. I think uh, whatever you, whatever comes to your mind. What uh, what advice do you have if you had to just say one thing to someone starting out as a as a young director? Well, I mean, like like one thing I learned is that like I always tried to speak to other directors and get anecdotal stories on like how they found success. You know what I mean? Because I was obviously trying to find success myself. And I think, you know, most people who set out to be a director obviously want to find some level of success. Uh, And so I'm trying to like accure information and like data points to understand how the path of a successful director works. And over the hundreds of conversations I've had, the only conclusion I've been able to draw is that no two stories are the same. Like there's no singular (laughs) path or there's no clear cut version of anything like literally everybody I talk to has such a different weird story on how they ended up finding success I think that I would probably benefit from not worrying about that so much and worrying whether or not I would find it and just focus on doing the things that would get me there rather than like how to get there so continuing to just be creative and like make like produce work like if you're a director like your job is to make content, like go make content, be it for free, for jobs, for hire, for whatever. Like the more you make, the the A, the better you're going to be, but B, the greater you increase the chance that someone's going to take notice. Because I truly believe, and I thought this before I sort of popped off with the, um, with the glam bots, was like you really just need one thing to like have people take notice. And for me, it was a glam bot. And I guess maybe that's one thing I noticed with other directors. Like they did a thing that got a lot of attention for whatever reason. And then they were able to pivot or to continue that momentum and to kind of build a career out of this one moment of like attention. And so I think that the more you make, 
the better you'll get, but the higher chances you'll create something that gets a lot of attention. And then once you get that first bit of attention, it's on you to like capitalize and take those opportunities as you see them to really uh, push your career to the next level. And so, so yeah, there's no one way, but like just keep making stuff because it, it'll, it'll happen at some point is my thought. Wonderful. Hey, thanks so much, Cole. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate you, you taking the time out of your day to be here with us. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's always a good conversation. I think that like the business side and the money side of creatives is super uh, underrepresented in our industry <laughs> yeah. and not talked about enough. And it's so important. Um, I, I feel like I've one thing I noticed when I was like starting my career and like figuring out like how to approach it. I would notice that there would be a ton of people that were, in my consideration, mediocrely talented, but like very successful. And you could tell that they were like super on their business. They were always moving and shaking and talking to people and networking and connecting this person and that person or whatever. But I was always like, they're not that good at what they do, but they work all the time. (laughs) And then I would find people who were like brilliantly creative and just like broke and unable to get work and like unable to like just self-perpetuate. And I was always like, why, uh, why are these, like, they're so talented. Like, why can't they get it together? And I think it's just, it's, it, it, it's an example of the, uh, expanse of like your business, uh, sense where some people are like really business savvy and some people aren't. And it, and it dawned on me that the more business savvy I can be in addition to obviously trying to be as talented as I can be. I will be better suited. So I always thought it was like, okay, this is really 50% business, 50% talent. And I was like, I need to work at both of these. I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to be an auteur creator that isn't successful. I was like, that doesn't sound appealing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I made it a, a point to practice both sides. And I think that everybody from any crew person down to a PA to directors and producers, you know, you have to focus on both sides. It's a, it's a film business. It's not film art you know <laughs> well thank you that, that's that's exactly right so i really that's exactly right thank you so much for that heck yeah well cool man thanks so much for being on it it was a, it was a pleasure and i think it's an awesome service you're doing uh obviously always a great conversation and uh let's do it again okay sounds good well thanks guys really like that guy he's just he we had we had a like a little brunch or something uh, a couple months ago and and just an amazing personality. Like, first of all, said, yeah, let's meet up, and, which I thought was pretty cool. And then when we did meet up, just one of the nicest guys. Like, we immediately hit it off, and I feel like, why aren't we best friends? And come be on my podcast, and let's hang out, and come to my wedding, or whatever. You know, he's just like that kind of personality. So, thanks again, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks.